Welcome to the Epic Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Meekham, and sitting in with me in the studio today, been looking forward to this, is Rebecca Fronberg from the Epic Program. Rebecca is our Assistant Program Manager, and I thought it'd be fun to bring Rebecca in and just talk a little bit about what Epic really is. We see this big name. By the way, welcome into the studio, Rebecca. Thank you, Dave. See, there really is somebody else here. <laughs> we, we see this name, you know, these capital letters and two Cs. Tell us what it means. So the name of our program is Healthy Living Through Environment Policy and Improved Clinical Care, which sounds like a really big name because we do a lot. And I think it's important for people to understand how it all fits together and how it impacts them. You know, the average person that lives here in Utah, what does EPIC do for them? EPIC has pretty much three distinct areas. So we work in physical activity and nutrition, kind of the preventative way where we want people to become healthier so that they don't become obese and then go on to maybe get things like prediabetes or diabetes or suffer from heart disease, hypertension, things like that. So we're working kind of on both sides of the scale from the preventative end and also from maybe more of a clinical end, working with people to um, link physicians with community services to help people feel comfortable taking care of things on their own and monitoring their own hypertension and working with community health workers on things like that. So there's all these different aspects of our program that really work together. There are a lot of moving parts here. And so for somebody who's not familiar with how the Department of Health works, when you say you're helping us become more physically active and eat better and do all these other things, what is your role there? If I need a personal trainer, I can't walk into the Department of Health and, and get that, right? So what is your role in helping us do these things? Well, public health in general tries to work from a population perspective. So rather than working individually with each person to help them modify their diet and, you know, go to the gym or do the different personal training things, we want to create an environment that is conducive to helping people do that on their own, just mm -hmm. as a kind of a default choice. So they would live in a neighborhood that is built in a way that makes it easier for them to walk to a place than to actually take their car. They would actually have a work environment that has healthy food options for them to choose from and also gives them time off to participate in physical activity and provides maybe a bike barn for them to park their bike when they come to work. So just all of these things that interplay together to make us healthier. Right. So you're not one-on-one -on -one attention to the public. You're more playing a strategic role in infrastructure and working with workplaces and kind of laying the groundwork that make it possible for people to do this. Absolutely. Another thing that we do more on the clinical side is rather than working with individual physicians or, again, individual patients, we're working from a clinic perspective. So we're trying to help people at a clinic to manage overall hypertension rates in their clinic. So what can they do to help people keep hypertension under control or diabetes under control? So again, population-based efforts. But there are 
health departments on the county level that do give some of that one-on-one connection, that service, right? So the way the public health system works in Utah is we receive funding from the federal government. We apply for grants and we receive funding to do specific activities in these different areas. We then subcontract those funds with local health departments who are an essential partner in actually going out and doing the work. So the local health departments know the needs within their own communities. And they're the ones who are going, for instance, to a daycare center maybe and working with the child care providers to give them the option of becoming what we call Top Star certified, which is Top Star's teaching obesity prevention in child care settings. So their center may be able to develop policies around physical activity in the center and um, healthy eating habits in the center, and both the staff and the the kids can enjoy the benefits of that. Right. So there is one-on-one or rather kind of personal attention and services provided to the public, but it's generally on the county level with the local health departments rather than from the state, right? It still probably isn't down to the individual level. Mm -hmm. It's still working more either in the community itself or in a site such as a daycare center or a school or a hospital or a work site, Mm -hmm. all of these different places to, again, make that healthy choice the default choice for most people. Right. So the health departments do a lot more than just come in and inspect your restaurant. There's a lot going on, right? (laughs) Because that's what we always hear, you know, like, oh, the health department. Okay, you kind of addressed this a little bit. There are a lot of different facets of the EPIC program. Can you break down each one of them? Sure. So we like to think of maybe working through the majority of the lifespan with our population. So we can start with birth. When a mother chooses to give birth, whatever birthing facility of that she chooses, we would love for these facilities to promote breastfeeding, to be breastfeeding mm-hmm. friendly. And we have a really cool program that we partner with the Maternal and Infant Health Program at the Utah Department of Health to offer stepping up for Utah babies. Mm-hmm. And this program, hospitals can work to develop these um, breastfeeding friendly practices that make it, again, easy for those moms to choose to breastfeed. So that's just right at birth. Mm-hmm. And then you can go further on by continuing if a mom chooses to go back to work after giving birth. There's a federal lactation accommodation law, and we work through local health departments to go to workplaces and ensure that they're actually complying with that so that moms have the opportunity to take a break and go pump or feed their baby and that they have a private place to do that that includes a sink and a refrigerator and electricity and all of the things that are needed. You're addressing from birth on. What's the next step beyond that? I'm familiar with a program called Top Star. So Top Star, again, um, is our child care program, and we're working with facilities to help them assess what their facility currently looks like as far as whether they have a lot of screen time for their kids or Mm -hmm. whether the kids are outside being physically active or whether they're feeding them nutritious foods. And they kind of take that initial scan of their environment and then they work to make changes to improve that and to ensure that the kids that are in their facility 
are getting the most opportunity to be physically active and to try new healthy foods. And then the staff participate as well. So it benefits both. That's perfect. So we've gone from birth to that preschool area, but you also do work in the schools. Once the children move on to elementary and high school and junior high, right? Yep. It's just a great transition. And the school's programs, we work seamlessly with the child nutrition programs where they provide the school lunch, but they also provide breakfast in the schools. And we try to encourage kids if they're not going to eat breakfast at home or if they don't have that opportunity due to budgetary issues to be able to have a second chance kind of breakfast in the classroom or in some other way uh, and that they can get those nutritious foods either at breakfast or at lunchtime. We also try to do things like smarter lunch rooms where mm-hmm. we encourage maybe the sugary flavored milks to not be predominantly displayed, you know, mm-hmm. have them in a place that it's more likely that the kids will reach for the regular milk or water and that they can have that available to them and, you know, bowls of fresh fruit or different things like that choices. Right. You're not going in and being the food Nazi, but you're trying to encourage and teach the proper behaviors, right? Right. And then recess. I mean, recess has in some schools been used as a punishment, you know, hold the kids I've back from recess. I've experienced that and been less than enthused about that idea. It's so sad. Uh, kids need to move. And, yeah. you know, a lot of schools are seeing the benefit of actually doing classroom physical activity mm-hmm. and incorporating that actually into their lessons, whether it's math or science or whatever. Get those kids out of the chairs. Kids aren't supposed to sit still. They're supposed to move. Our bodies are meant to move. Right. And it helps prepare their brain for learning when they get out and get some activity and get back into the classroom along with the nutritious lunch and breakfast. Right. Yep. And we've seen this. It's kind of a battle that and I know this because I've I've experienced this with my daughters that, you know, if they don't have a particular assignment done or there's misbehaving in class, whatever it is, that the first thing that that a lot of the teachers do is like, okay, you just lost some recess time. Like recess is just a privilege. And it's not necessary. It's something that you get if you've done everything else and it's the last priority. But that's certainly not true. And and in some cases, teachers are just caught between a rock and a hard spot. This has to be done. There's no other time to do it. And so they cut into recess time. So one of the nice things that the EPIC program is doing is working with districts to try and change this policy from high level and let it go downhill and work into all the schools. Is that right? Yes. And it's interesting in Utah, we're actually what's considered a local control state. So we would love to be able to have state policies that come down from the Board of Education, but it doesn't work that way here. So Mm -hmm. we have our local health departments collaborating and working with their local school districts and charter schools as well Mm -hmm. to develop these policies so that they can teach maybe even holding recess before lunch because the kids will go out and move. They're so excited to go to recess. They don't eat all their lunch, but maybe when they come back from recess, they'll be more apt to eat their food and just teaching the importance of movement during the school time. And this goes beyond elementary. I mean, you know, you can have elementary and recess goes away, but we've even had issues with some of the high schools or junior highs taking out gym class, for example, right? Horrifying, absolutely horrifying. And I know that people have got their stories about gym and all of the things that, you know, the old school stuff, but really just movement. You know, they have a lot of different things now that are non-competitive and that are very inviting and that help 
kids see the benefit of moving their bodies. And it's important to have these health and these gym classes as an essential part of every junior high and high school. So there are challenges still out there remaining, not only on the physical activity level, but also on nutrition. And it starts in elementary, but goes clear up through high school. Right. The federal government has helped a lot as far as creating policies where they aren't allowed to sell sugar-sweetened beverages and things like that on school grounds, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that there's a direct link between ingestion of sugar-sweetened beverages and obesity and also diabetes is a big deal. And so the sooner we can prevent our kids from taking in those substances, the better and healthier that they will be. Okay, so we've got an individual and now we've worked with them in nutrition and physical activity from birth up until essentially adulthood, but it doesn't end there, right? No, we work with work sites. So there's a fabulous program called Work at Health that uh, the CDC developed and uh, we've had some local and state people be trained to deliver this curriculum to businesses. And there's not a charge for the business to participate in this, and it teaches them how to incorporate wellness policies and things that they can do for very little cost in their own work site that can help their employees be healthier and thereby cut their insurance costs related to illnesses like diabetes and heart disease. Yeah. And I want to just step back one more thing on the schools because you also work with school nurses. We do. We have a school nurse consultant And currently they're in the process of hiring kind of a mirror image of her at the Board of Education, Hmm. someone that can work. There's been so many new laws that have been passed around vision screening and emergency medications that need to be delivered in a school environment and whether or not a nurse or somebody that's not a nurse can administer insulin. There's all these different things that are related to schools and the students' health, both in the prevention realm and also in the care realm. And so the school nurse consultant can provide that guidance and have some standardized types of things that can go across all of the districts. And that's a critical area because anybody who's watched the news over the past year has seen there's problems with parents trying to get their students' medication, and and there's been stories in about are there enough school nurses in the schools? You know, each district is different, and there's been controversy over that. So there's a lot going on in that area, and it's great that there's some assistance available from the EPIC program. And there's a lot of advocacy for getting additional school nurses. I don't know that we'll ever have enough school nurses, according to our student Mm -hmm. ratio. Um, We do have a lot of kids here in Utah. We do indeed. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. But it does require that maybe some of the nurses learn to delegate some responsibilities to those who have been trained to administer certain things. Right, but just another example of the important work that's going on in the EPIC program behind the scenes that people don't necessarily see every day and don't realize that's happening. We've talked about nutrition from basically birth to into adulthood and physical activity, and there are programs that are working with adults. There's a lot of messaging that goes out from the EPIC program as far as just providing information and, and even motivation sometimes, right? But within EPIC, there's other critical things going on. Diabetes is a focus of the EPIC program. It is. And we work primarily with trying to prevent people from getting diabetes, so Mm -hmm. the prediabetes. And prediabetes is a diagnosis where your blood sugar levels are elevated but not quite high enough to actually be diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And while we do focus on working 
with both type 1 and type 2, it seems like type 2 are more the behavior-oriented mm-hmm. type of management. So we do work to help people learn if they already have been diagnosed to prevent themselves from having issues with their blood sugar. So they learn how to do self-management through classes that are held maybe by pharmacists or different healthcare providers in their community. And there's also classes, year-long classes, actually, that can really help with maybe helping to lose a little weight and learn how to eat better and physical activity that can take people who have prediabetes and prevent them from being diagnosed. Well, and that's critical because prediabetes is reversible. Type 2 diabetes, not always so. And so if you can kind of prevent it from progressing that far, how much are you improving somebody's life? Oh, so, so much. Diabetes is a huge killer. And you mentioned something here just a moment ago that kind of caught my attention. You talked about community health workers. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? So community health workers are people that are trusted members of a community. So they're your neighbor, they're your friend, but they've received some specific training to kind of link the community with the healthcare provider. Maybe there's someone that is a little distrustful of the health system and they don't feel comfortable or maybe they don't have insurance or maybe they are undocumented or there's all these reasons why they would not access the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. And the community health worker provides this trusted link to be able to give that person the information that's needed to either diagnose or manage their condition in partnership with the healthcare provider. And that can probably take many different forms, whether it's maybe translation, just having a confidant there, somebody you can trust to say, okay, can I believe what this doctor or nurse is telling me? Is this, is this, this is different than what I know. And they hold your hand and guide you through that. Is that right? Right. I mean, this actually started back in the days of HIV prevention. They called mm-hmm. them promotoras, and they tried to get into some of the harder-to-reach communities where there was this huge distrust of government in general and the healthcare system. And it's evolved now to where they're not just working with infectious diseases, but also chronic diseases like diabetes and heart disease mm-hmm. and trying to help people link up and access the healthcare system in a way that feels safe and accessible. And so the EPIC program is working to promote the use and awareness of community health workers? Not just the use and awareness, but actually making sure that they have consistent and proper training Mm -hmm. so that they have a curriculum that will enable them to be pretty educated about the different topics that they'd like to discuss with with their friends and clients. I can see a real advantage in that. There was a time in my life that I was in a foreign country needing health care, and that would have been a phenomenal thing to have somebody there that kind of like, okay, this is what's going to happen here because it was very different than what I knew as far as health care goes. And I can see how that would be a real advantage for somebody who's not used to our system, whether it's cultural, whatever it is, to have somebody there to help them out. Yeah, they're amazing. They really are. Is there anything else about Epic that we want to talk about today? Well, I think we touched on it a little bit, but we don't just work in all of these areas up to work sites. We work in the community as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's already been some discussions some about our built environment and how that makes an impact in whether or not we can get from a destination to another destination mm-hmm. without getting in our car. Right. But, you know, cul-de-sac sounds like a great idea from a builder's perspective, but <laughs> not a great idea for walking. So <laughs> trying to create more of a grid system or 
you know, maybe a little bit higher density, maybe planting those trees, the different things that help a community feel pretty and walkable and make people want to get out. So what we're talking about here is active transportation. You bet. And the idea of active transportation, correct me if I'm wrong, is to get out and do it under your own power, whether it's being on a bike or walking or whatever conveyance it is where you are the engine and it's not a car, you're not burning fuel or whatever. And that can actually incorporate mass transit, right? Yes. In fact, there's a huge thing going on called the first and last mile where the transit organizations are working with the Department of Transportation to make sure that it's easy for people to get to transit and that it's not more than a mile from where they get on and where they get off to their destination. Well, this is clearly a win-win-win because we're helping ourselves by improving our physical activity. We are taking cars off the road, which makes our drives in the morning for those who, who aren't able to do this easier. But most of all, we're taking pollution out of the air as well. We have a definite impact on air quality when we use our bodies instead of our cars. <laughs> this is better for you all the way around. And even the people who aren't able to participate, maybe they don't have a commute every day, but it still helps everybody. It does. So, all right, beautiful active transportation. I love it. Anything else that the Epic program is involved in that we want to share in our podcast today? I think that's a pretty comprehensive list. It'll be fun to delve deeper into some of these areas. And I look forward to doing that. I look forward to having you back on our podcast and talking more about these things and others. I know that one thing that we're involved in, the EPIC program that we really didn't touch on today, but it's kind of fun. And and we'll have the opportunity to do this with family meals. Yes, I was going to mention that when we talked about, you know, the daycare centers and the Mm -hmm. schools. But yes, family meals, we have the September family meals month that the governor declares every year. And it doesn't have to just happen in September, right? (laughs) So lots of things we can do to promote healthy family meals. Right. There are a lot of benefits in that. We're going to do a podcast on that because that's the topic of its own. But there are tons of advantages in getting your family together around the meal table. Some that you may not anticipate are there, but but we're talking about better health, better mental health, all kinds of good stuff. And we'll talk about this. We'll have you back to do that. But thanks for coming in today. Thank you. It's been really fun. We'll do it again. Thanks, Rebecca Fronberg, Assistant Program Manager with EPIC at the Utah Department of Health. It's been fun talking to you today. Thanks for coming in. I look forward to doing it again very soon. Thanks, Dave. 